Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Hello everybody, my name is Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to my podcast in the book of Revelation. In this series of podcasts, we're going to look at the book of Revelation from chapters 1 through 22. What did John say? How would John's readers have understood what he said? And what does it mean for us today? After we survey the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, we'll then record some more podcasts that will examine some of the more popular topics. What about the beast and the Antichrist and the rapture and some of the more popular topics? For those of you who are interested, I encourage you to get a copy of my book, Follow the Lamb. It's a guide on how to read, understand, and apply the book of Revelation. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth podcast. For now, I hope you sit back and enjoy our study of the book of Revelation. Today's study takes us to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, the first eight verses, is kind of an opening paragraph that brings to a closure all the prior material. We noted how Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, through chapter 21, verse 8, is this transitional section between the description of the two women, these women that are both depicted as cities, the harlot Babylon and the bride of Christ, the, the new Jerusalem. And this uh, transitional section brings to a climax all the material earlier in the book of Revelation. We've noted the constant references in this section to, uh, Old Test- to earlier sections in the book of Revelation. We begin with Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There are several passages in the book of Revelation that are just worthy of deep reflection and meditation. And in fact, I would encourage you to memorize Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, describe the great multitude who are before the throne of God. Verse 15 says, For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, because the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He shall guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In a similar way, Revelation 21 Uh, Verse 3, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He shall dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. It's worthy to stop and reflect upon these passages and meditate upon them and maybe read them over and over again. I encourage you again to memorize them. Uh, One of the main points in the book of Revelation as to why John wrote this book, was to encourage his readers, to encourage them in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution and opposition, to endure, to overcome, to be faithful. 
And these passages, the passages that describe uh, the, the, the people of God and, and God's eternal dwelling, they're before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits in the throne will spread his tabernacle over them, and they will hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither will the sun beat down on them nor any scorching heat, because the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He shall guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, these passages are meant to encourage us, to encourage God's people to endure and to be faithful and to hang in there until the end. Revelation 21 starts off, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Old Testament background for this, of course, is Isaiah chapter 65, 17 through 19, and 43 verses 18 and 19. Uh, it's a new heaven, however, not in the sense of the old one's uh, been obliterated and God started all over with a brand new one. Uh, it's a new one in the sense of resurrection. Just as Jesus has begun the new creation through his own death and resurrection, so also we ourselves will die and rise again. God doesn't wipe our bodies away and start over with a new one, nor does he start with a new heaven and a new earth by wiping the old creation away and starting off with a new one. He purifies, he redeems, he restores, he resurrects the creation. What's interesting here is it says that there's no longer any sea. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there's no longer any sea. And it's kind of an odd reference. Why is there no, no sea? Why is the sea singled out? Remember, in the book of Revelation, the sea has had a number of different uh, uh, images. Uh, and David Barr says, In John's story, the sea has been a symbol of chaos, of Roman military might, of Roman commerce, and a place for the dead. In the scriptures, the sea is often re a reference to chaos. Even in the book of Revelation, hell is described as a lake of fire, a sea uh, of fire. In the book of Genesis, the, the waters were that which inhibited God from creating. He had to separate the waters so he can create dry, dry ground in which God could create. And then when God brought a destruction upon the earth or, or a decreation of his creation, he flooded the world with water. The sea is also a reference to unbelieving peoples who persecute God's people. In Revelation 17, 1, the, the harlot was sitting on many waters in Revelation 17, verse 1. But verse 15 says, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So there's no longer any sea. There's no longer any opposition to God and to his creation, nor to God and to his people. John says, I saw the holy city, the, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. It's not said to come to the earth, but it's coming down uh, out of heaven. Uh, the idea of heaven and earth becoming one, being reunited. Uh, this notion that many Christians have in uh, evangelicalism today of, of someday that uh, when we die, we, we get to go up to heaven and heaven some other some place is other and it's, it's distant and it's, it's not said to involve the earth. It uh, doesn't seem to square with the biblical story. I saw the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to the earth. Uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I think the goal of creation, the goal of, uh, of redemption and restoration is for heaven and earth to become reunited, to become one again. For God to purify his creation, redeem it and restore it, and to bring his garden paradise of Eden back to earth. Of course, in a glorified way, in a resurrected sense, in a redeemed sense. Now what John sees here in verses 1 and 2 is uh, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. It's coming down out of heaven from God, but it's made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. So we begin to see already the glimpse of a city and a people being merged into, as one thing. It's a city, and yet it's also a bride being adorned for her husband. Throughout the Old Testament, of course, Israel is the bride of Christ, the bride of, uh, of God, uh, the bride adorned for her husband, Isaiah 49. It's this wedding imagery of, of Israel being depicted as a finely adorned, uh, finely adorned bride in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 8 through 14. Israel is also described as a mother in the book of Hosea, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. Now, in verse 3, it says, I heard, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
And John's going to do this number, a number of times. We've seen it before. John's going to see one thing and hear another thing, or hear one thing and see another thing. And what often happens then is what he hears in this instance is, is going to interpret what he sees, or what he sees interprets what he hears. And what he, what he sees is a city uh, coming down out of heaven from God, and the city is the New Jerusalem. But what he hears is that the tabernacle of God is among men, and that God will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself shall be among them. This is it. This is the fulfillment of the biblical story. This is what we've been waiting for since the beginning of the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. Uh, God is restoring humanity to his presence. Uh, God's presence being restored amongst his people. This idea that God's going to restore his presence to his people or his people to his presence is found throughout the scriptures. One of the most significant places is in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26. Leviticus 26 describes God's covenant with his people and the covenant promises of blessings and curses. Uh, I'll be your God, God says to Israel, and you'll be my people. And the way it's going to work is I'm going to be your God and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to watch over you. I'll make sure that you have all that you need. And you're going to be my people. You're going to obey my laws and keep my Sabbaths and do all that I command you. When you do this, of course, the nations will see how great a God that I am, how I bless you and how great a people you are. And the nations will want in. The nations will join in uh, to God's covenant people. This is the goal of the Old Testament story and the calling of Israel. Now, of course, if you don't obey my law, God says in the covenant, uh, I'm going to curse you and kick you out of the land and separate you from my presence, uh, lest my name be defamed and blasphemed among the nations. In Leviticus 26, then, it goes on to say in verse 2, If you observe my Sabbaths and if you have reverence for my sanctuary, I am the Lord. Verse 3, If you follow my decrees and if you're careful to obey all my commands, then I'm going to do all these things. In verse 4, I'll send rain. I'll grant you peace in verse 6 and prosperity in the land. Uh, um, you're going to pursue your enemies in verse 7. And uh, uh, I'll look on you in favor and I'll make you fruitful in verse 9. Then in, in Leviticus 26 verse 11, it says, Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you. and My soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. This great promise in the book of Leviticus of God's dwelling amongst his people and being with them, certainly in the language of the book of Genesis of God walking with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, is then reiterated in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. Now, we've already noted Ezekiel 37 through 48 and its significance of, the, uh, of its place in Revelation chapters 19 through 22. In Ezekiel 37, we see at the beginning of the chapter a, vi a vision of a valley of dry bones. And these dry bones represent the whole house of Israel. And these bones are dead, and uh, the prophet is asked, uh, can these bones live? And, uh, and, and God says, yes, they can. Uh, prophesy, and, and I'll make them grow back, and I'll, I'll cover them, and, and you'll know that I'm the Lord. And so he prophesies, and he gives breath uh, to these bones, and they come back to life. And we're told that these bones represent the whole house of Israel. Then if we skip down to Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, verse 24, it says, My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. And they'll walk in my ordinances and my statutes and, and observe them. And they'll live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived. Um, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons, forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince. And I'll make a covenant of peace with them. And it'll be an everlasting covenant with them. And I'll place them and multiply them. And my sanctuary will be in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them. And I will be their God. And they'll be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So when the book of Revelation tells us that uh, the new Jerusalem, the new creation, God's going to tabernacle among them, and he will dwell among them, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be among them. 
We see references now in the quotation to the book of Leviticus 26 and Ezekiel chapter 37. Leviticus 26 is this covenant promise of God that if you be my people and I'll be your God and if you obey my covenant, then this is going to be the blessing. I'll be your God and I'll walk among you and I'll dwell among you and you'll be my people. Well, they failed. They didn't do so. So God kicks them out of out of the land and expels them from the land. By the time we get to Ezekiel, Ezekiel's telling the people of Israel that there's this promise of restoration, that if you come back and, and allow God to restore you to his land, of course, through repentance, then God will, again, fulfill his promise that he made back in the book of Leviticus, that he will dwell among you and be your people, and, and God himself will be among you. Well, this comes to a climax in Revelation chapter 21. I will be your God, and you'll be my people, and I will dwell among you. Now, what's also very important for us to note as Christians is the fact that this promise is not simply just something future. Uh, we, we tend to look and go, well, God made this promise in the Old Testament, and this promise is going to be fulfilled someday in heaven. But Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, talks to the church in Corinth and says, look, you can't be bound together with unbelievers. Uh, what partnership, he says in verse 14, does righteousness and lawlessness have? And what fellowship has there with light and darkness? Or verse 15, what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement, verse 16, has the temple of God with idols? And then Paul says this, For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Paul's quoting Ezekiel 37 and Leviticus chapter 26. And Paul's saying, it's fulfilled in us now. The temple presence of God amongst his people is already begun in God's people through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, because you're the temple of God, you cannot be uh, bound together with unbelievers. You cannot be in harmony with Belial, with the devil, uh, uh, the temple of God with idols. It's not just something future then. It's something that's a present reality through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, he says, Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Do not touch what is unclean. Chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, Having these promises, beloved, let us, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We, we need to understand that God's promise of his dwelling amongst his people is not just something future that's set, that's set apart for the new Jerusalem and someday it'll happen. It's already begun by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And as a result of its present reality in our lives, we are called to live lives of holiness. Now, it's important, of course, to note then that this new Jerusalem is the fulfillment of this. And what we'll, what we'll have to note then is the new Jerusalem is a city. It's the new Jerusalem. I mean, it's the holy city in chapter 21, verse 2. But it's also the people of God. Verse 3, I, I heard that the tabernacle of God is among men. John sees the city, the, the new city, the holy, holy city, the new Jerusalem, and he hears that the dwelling of God is among men. And this seeing and hearing are interpreting one another. The city, this place, is also God's people. But we also note that in light of the fulfillment of Leviticus 26 and Ezekiel 37, that the city, which is the people, is also a temple. Because by definition, wherever God dwells is the temple. City, place, and people are all, and temple are all one. Now, John goes on to say in Revelation 21, He who sits in the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is important because it's only the second time in the entire book of Revelation that the one on the throne speaks. The Father spoke in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. 
said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And now in Revelation chapter 21, he speaks again. Behold, I'm making all things new, and these words are faithful and true, and I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Not only does the Father speak, but he reminds us of the promises to the, to the one who overcomes. To the one who overcomes, I'll, you will inherit these things, and I'll be your God, and you'll be my son. Again, this promise of God's dwelling presence amongst us in light of Leviticus 26 and Ezekiel 37. But well, we also have reference in verse 6 that I'll give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. This reminds us of Jesus in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, where Jesus tells the woman, you should have asked me and I would have given you living water. And she turns to Jesus and says, sir, the well is deep and you have nothing to draw water with. And he says, I am the source of living water. Whoever drinks of the water I give will never thirst again. Now, those who inherit the throne of God are indeed the ones who overcome. But this list then includes those who are excluded. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, idolaters, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This list begins first off with the cowardly. I think it's important when we see lists like this to note at least the first and the last items. The first item is the cowardly. Uh, probably a reference that John's telling his readers, look, the one who overcomes must be brave and bold. The one who's cowardly, the one who gives in, the one who apostatizes, who falls away, who, who gives in to the, to the lures of the beast and the, and, and the false prophet because they're, they're worried about economic uh, survival and, and not being subjected to persecution and suffering at the hands of the beast. Those are the cowardly. The list ends with liars. And it seems it's interesting because when John gives these lists of those who do not inherit the kingdom of God, how lying and deception and those who practice falsehood are so commonly referred to here. In fact, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 15, he says, Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. For John, the truth which, of course, points us to Christ in the Gospel of John. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is central to the life of the Christian believer, life of the Christian. We must follow the truth. If you want to believe the lie, you can give in, and you can compromise with the beast and the false prophet. But one of the things the book of Revelation is telling us is those who maintain the truth, those who are the faithful witnesses, those who, are the, who, who, who testify to the truth, might suffer. They might suffer at the hands of the beast. They might suffer economic opposition. They might suffer persecution and suffering and, and even death. Those are the ones who will be rewarded. But the cowardly and the liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with brimstone, which is the second death. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.